السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته. اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة إن الحمد لله إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدًا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين Dear brothers and sisters, in the Qur'an, Allah reminds the idol worshippers of Quraysh in Mecca of his favors and blessings upon them. And he says, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Li'ilafi Quraysh, Ilafihim Rihlata Shita'i Wasayf. 
فليعبدوا رب هذا البيت الذي أطعمهم من جوع وآمنهم من خوف صدق الله العظيم Allah revealed for the blessing and favor of making Quraysh secure secure in their trading caravan to Yemen in the winter and secure in their trading caravan to Syria in the summer because of this let them worship truly the Lord of the sacred house alone the one who fed them against hunger and who made them secure against fear dear brothers and sisters the first of the Arabs to institute this journey northwards to Sham, to greater Syria-Palestine, for trade, and the summer journey to the south in Yemen, was Hashim. And Hashim is a nickname given to Amr ibn Mughira. And he was given the name Hashim because in his lifetime, when his people in Mecca were suffering from drought and famine, he would donate flour and make bread. And he would break the bread, Yahshimul Khubz. He would break the bread that he would put into the soup. And he became known as Hashim, the one who breaks the bread in feeding others. Hashim is the great grandfather of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam who is Sayyiduna Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. So Hashim was known for his generosity. And during his lifetime, the Meccans experienced extreme famine and inflation and food shortages. So he would go with some members of his family north to Palestine. And while there in Palestine, he would purchase large quantities of flour and bring it back to Mecca and distribute it to the poor. And once in one of these journeys north in Palestine, he passed away in a place we call Gaza or Gaza. He passed away in Gaza and he is buried in Gaza. And there is a mosque that is named after him there till this very day. So the link, dear brothers and sisters, that we have to Gaza goes back even before Islam. It goes back to the time of the great-grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ. And Islamically speaking, that connection goes back to the Isra, the miraculous night journey in Ascension, when the Prophet ﷺ was taken on the miraculous night journey from Mecca to Al-Quds al-Sharif. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Isra, Subhanallah, Asra bi'abdihi laylan min al-masjid al-harami ila al-masjid al-aqsa al-ladhi barakna hawla. Glorified is the one who took his servant by night from the sacred mosque in Mecca to the furthest mosque in Jerusalem in an environment that he had blessed. Dear brothers and sisters, the most sacred places for us are, of course, Al-Masjid al-Haram, number one. Al-Masjid al-Nabawi in Medina, number two. And Al-Masjid al-Aqsa in Jerusalem, number three. And beyond that, we have the area around Al-Aqsa of Quds in general. And beyond that, we have the entirety of Sham, greater Syrio-Palestine. This is a land 
that Allah describes as Mubaraka and which is described as Muqaddasa, meaning it is blessed and sanctified by God Almighty. It is the land in which the second masjid was built after the Kaaba al-Musharrafa. It is the land in which the Prophet Muhammad wasallam led other prophets in prayer. It is the land that has the highest concentration of prophets buried more than anywhere else on the earth. It is our first Qibla direction to which we face in prayer. And in the end of times, it will be the land where Prophet Isa ibn Maryam, Jesus Christ, will slay the Antichrist, where Muslims and Christians will fight against the Antichrist upon the return of Jesus Christ. It will be there in that area, in that land. For this reason, dear brothers and sisters, and many, many more reasons, loving that region, loving the Holy Land, and Ardul Muqaddasa is a part of our faith. It is a part of Iman. And we see closeness to Allah Ta'ala by loving this sacred region. And betraying this region is a betrayal of Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What this all means, dear brothers and sisters, is that Palestine is not exclusively a Palestinian issue. Palestine is not exclusively an Arab issue. It is an Islamic issue, no matter where you're from. And even beyond that, it is a human issue. Caring about Palestine is not restricted to the Palestinians or the Arabs or any other ethnicity. It is for the entire ummah of the Prophet Dear brothers and sisters, when Allah Ta'ala opened the lands of Palestine during the reign of Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu, he instituted a waqf and he made the entire region a waqf. What is a waqf? A waqf is a charitable endowment, meaning it is a land that is for the benefit of all people. And a waqf, dear brothers and sisters, is, it is something that is mahbus, it is restricted, it can't be sold. It remains as a charitable endowment for the benefit of people until the day of judgment. And when he established it as a waqf, a charitable endowment, he allowed the Jewish communities that were scattered here and there to return and to settle there under just governance. And in our fiqh, our Jewish jurisprudential tradition, our law, the waqf has to remain until the day of judgment. That means that it's not the right of any people, of any government, of any person to annul the charitable endowment. From that point forward, from the time of Umar bin Khattab, Muslims have defended Palestine at tremendous cost. Whether it was them dealing with the fanatical cult at Dawlatul Ubaidiyah, or the Crusaders, or the Mongols, or others, they defended it at tremendous cost. And they continue to do this until the aftermath of World War I, when the Ottomans were no longer able to defend it. And from the earliest times, 
the heartland of this region, Jerusalem, boasted of many mosques and synagogues and churches from virtually every denomination. So the Allies entered this region in 1917 under British General Allenby. And between then and 1947, we know from our history that the Zionist movement worked to facilitate mass immigration there and using their ties with the colonial powers to secure and seize land by force. And they organized themselves into armed terrorist groups, such as the Irgun, which are the offshoots of the larger Haganah militia. And they would be responsible in that time for multiple bombings of marketplaces, of public areas, but deliberately targeting civilians to create political change in that what they felt was in their favor. Use eventually bombing the King David Hotel. And so in 1947, you have the UN partitioning Palestine, and after that comes the mass expulsion, the Nakba, and then the rest is history. We're summarizing decades and decades of oppression here. So Israel, and I don't like to call it Israel, because Israel is one of the names given to Prophet Yaqub. So I don't like to use that name. I don't want to dishonor that name. We can call it the Zionist state. It has pursued a policy of keeping Gaza, as you all know, as a very large open-air concentration camp. They seal its borders. They control everyone and everything that goes in and comes out. And they have pursued for a very long time a policy of starving it of food, medicine, supplies, education, basic building materials, and other basic human needs, all under the pretense of security. The idea being they diminish the population through time, through malnourishment, through economic strangling, through lack of medical care, and through despair. That is a policy. That is a feature, not a bug. So we've grown accustomed, dear brothers and sisters, to hearing of different escalations over the year. Usually we hear them in Ramadan, don't we? Where there's escalations happening between the Zionist and the beleaguered people of Palestine. And for the past week, as anyone who's not living under a rock knows, we've witnessed the biggest escalation in force in over 50 years. And what has started as a supposedly surprise attack has now developed into a full-fledged conflict. Now we can obviously call out the Zionist state, and we can condemn it and other governments who support it. But the question is, to what end? It's very easy to talk. It's very easy to chide them and say, that's very bad. That's inhumane. You shouldn't do that. We've been there before. And if I do that, I'm just preaching to the choir, as we say. I'm not saying anything that any of you disagree with. So we have to go beyond predictable statements. And so I want to challenge you today. I want to go beyond predictable statements and challenge you and give you some food for thought beyond the typical platitudes that we normally hear. Dear brothers and sisters, at the foundation, at the very beginning, 
we have to view this issue and every other issue through pristine Islamic lenses. Through pristine Islamic lenses. What do I mean by that? To explain, let me ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question. Would we be opposed to the Zionist state if they were exemplars of human rights and if they treated the Palestinians oh so kindly and did not bomb them and disproportionately harm civilians in the process and if they didn't imprison people without charges for years and if they didn't target people and disproportionately harm the population would we still would we support them as long as they were nice guys if they were nice and humane, would we still support them? Would we be okay with them? Think about that question. Is it just a question of how nice or how mean they are? How just or how oppressive? Or is it something more? The answer for us, dear brothers and sisters, is we would still consider them aggressors, even if they were holding back. They're still aggressors because we object to them not just because of the oppression, but also because of the occupation. Because Palestine is a waqf. It's a charitable endowment until the day of judgment. It's not allowed for anyone to just seize it by force and use it however they like at gunpoint. Now others, of course, may live there as their ancestral land, of course. And they've always lived there in different numbers. No one objects to that. But it has to be done in a just way. Not by stealing land at gunpoint, not through violence, not through seizure. So you see there's two issues with the Palestine issue. Issue number one is the ihtilal, there's the occupation itself. Seizing land where Muslims and Christians and Jews lived together for centuries. And then you have the oppression that comes after it to maintain that occupation. Killing 100 people for every one of their killed in conflict, blockades, denying food and water and medicine and so on. So I bring forth this rhetorical question because unfortunately, in these conflicts, many people adopt the language of the conquerors. They adopt the language of the conquerors to put pressure on Zionists, but it's to no avail. They use terms like colonialism, imperialism, apartheid, human rights violations. Now, I'm not saying that those terms are inaccurate descriptions of the situation. I'm not saying they're inaccurate. They are accurate. But I don't believe, dear brothers and sisters, that that language is any more effective. I don't believe, personally speaking, that using the secular language of the conqueror is effective because it hasn't helped. The terms today are impotent. The powers that be don't care about human rights. Are you going to appeal to the morality of people who don't care? You say human rights to a people who don't care about human rights. They use those terms as a weapon against you and others. But they don't believe them. These terms are impotent. The terms with teeth, the terms that have power, and meaning are the Islamic terms. 
القتال الشرعي في سبيل الله سبحانه وتعالى these terms that have a basis in our religion that sanctify defending yourself that sanctify and validate the right to defend yourself not appealing to the conscious of the enemy using terms that they came up with but don't respect so fundamentally dear brothers and sisters the solution to the problems in palestine only come from a correct moral framing based on an islamic world view for us that is the only way we're not going to deal with the palestinian issues and look at it accurately through the frames of marxism that was tried in the 60s and 70s it didn't help anyone it was a disaster it won't be helped through the lenses of secular humanism or through arab nationalism but rather it will only be through the guidance of allah and his messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam dear brothers and sisters you have to always remember and remind yourself that the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam has foretold in the hadith recorded by imam at-tirmidhi that in the last days the khilafa capital will be al-quds al-sharif that is the promise of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that should inspire some hope because nothing is going to change that reality nothing will change that reality no matter who hates it walaw kariha al-kafirun walaw kariha al-mushrikun walaw kariha al-muhtallun al-mu'tadun doesn't matter who hates it that's the reality sadaqallahu wa rasuluhu allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this is the promise of allah wa'adallahi haqqa wa man astaqu min allahi qila who is more truthful than god almighty so we are pained by the suffering but we have to remember always that there is a huge difference allah says wa tarjuna min allahi ma la yarjun you have hope in allah in a way that they don't have hope allah ta'ala allahu mawlana wa la mawla lahum allahu mawlana wa la mawla lahum qatlana fil jannah wa qatlahum fil jahim that is the reality the reality that doesn't just look at the material but it looks at the metaphysical it looks at the spiritual it looks at what is beyond al madda beyond the material means when allah ta'ala gives victory to the oppressed it comes at a time of his choosing so we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this day of al jumu'ah to give victory and help to the people of palestine and to grant relief to the beleaguered and the oppressed and to grant us all moral clarity to take the side of truth and view these events through the proper lenses the lenses of tawhid divine oneness and the correct moral framing based on a sound islamic world view amin walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin الحمد لله رب العالمين وافضل الصلاه واتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد الصادق الامين وعلى اله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته الى يوم الدين وبعد dear brothers and sisters i want you to imagine i want you to imagine that a gunman breaks into your house لا قدر الله a gunman breaks into your house he smacks your kids around 
as you scream for mercy and help, but to no avail. This person comes in barging into your house at gunpoint, and he says to you, hmm, this is my house now. But this person who's just entered your home, they want to believe that they are generous. They want to convince themselves that they are generous. And they want others, they want the world to believe that they're generous too. So this person who just came into your house and sees it at gunpoint, graciously and mercifully allows you and your family to live in a corner of the basement. Sure, it's cold, it's dark, it's damp down there in your basement, and you don't have a lot of space to move around, but it's better than nothing. Where else are you going to go? And imagine that as you're living in that basement, <laughs> your own basement, by gunpoint, imagine that one day that person drags you upstairs or drags you around, you and your family, with his gun in your faces. And in utter helplessness, one day, one of your children grabs a lamp in the house and throws it at that person, trying to protest the tyranny. And as soon as that person gets hit by the lamp, they begin to shed crocodile tears. Oh, they begin to complain to the world. And they say to the world, I have tried to share my home with these animals, but all they do is attack me. How am I supposed to reason with such people? I have a right to defend myself. They have to make concessions with me if they want to live in the basement in peace. They say this to the world shedding crocodile tears. And the world, hearing this person's story, begins to nod their heads in agreement. And the world tells that family living in the basement, you shouldn't be so unreasonable. You have to share the house. It's only fair. And the simple answer to all of that is, it's not your house in the first place. It's not your house in the first place. That's Palestine, dear brothers and sisters. You know, it's easy enough for a person to be a Muslim living in a place like Pakistan or Egypt or Morocco, being around other Muslims in a Muslim-majority country, observing what's going on right now in Palestine. It's easy enough to observe that and speak openly and even forcefully about it. That's easy. But maybe it's more complicated for you here. As you live, study, and work among others who either don't know that much about what's been going on for a very long time, or they're confused, or they simply don't share your worldview. Maybe they look up to the state of Israel as heroes that are bravely defending themselves against savage animals. Maybe they believe they're the, our greatest ally, as they say. And even if you're averse to conflict and you want to keep your head down, you have to understand the reality. Because the reality will come at you despite what you say to yourself. And the reality is that the Zionist lobby that is very entrenched in this society has already designated you and me and thousands of others as the enemy, because we don't believe like they do. APAC, the ADL, you name them, it's all the same. So, it is what it is. Dear brothers and sisters, 
you have to understand that it's one thing to talk about morals and ethics and values and standing up, and it's another thing to actually do them. The Prophet ﷺ famously said, أَفْضَلُ جِهَادٍ كَرِمَةُ حَقٍ عِنْدَ سُلْطَانٍ The very best, most superior struggle is to utter a word of truth in the presence of a tyrannical ruler. So the Zionists are the bed buddies of tyrannical rulers. And speaking a word of truth is highly rewardable because it is so risky. So the question we may have for ourselves is how do we communicate these things? In a way that is accurate, in a way that is wise, in a way that is according to our moral standard. And I'll offer you some advice. How would you speak to others about these events after you've educated yourself about them? Number one, at the top of my list of advice is that one should never equivocate. Equivocate. Have you ever heard that statement? People are arguing back and forth. And someone says, I agree that is wrong, that such and such thing is wrong, but so and so did such and such. People do this all the time. They concede to your point, but then they say, I agree, but... This is not an effective way of communicating, dear brothers and sisters. When we look in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Baqarah, we see that Allah Ta'ala is teaching us that when you use this word, but, it's a form of equivocation. It's like you've brushed aside whatever you affirmed. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala says, يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الشَّهْرِ الْحَرَامِ قِتَالٍ فِيهِ قُلْ قِتَالٌ فِيهِ كَبِيرٌ وَصَدٌ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَكُفْرٌ بِهِ وَالْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ وَإِخْرَاجُ أَهْلِهِ مِنْهُ أَكْبَرُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَكْبَرُ مِنَ الْقَتْلِ They ask you concerning fighting in the sacred months. Say fighting therein is a grave sin. It's a grave sin. And, and, wa, and preventing others from the path of Allah disbelief in him, embarring others from entry into the sacred mosque and expelling its people from it are graver in the sight of Allah. Notice how Allah Ta'ala says, this is bad and this is bad. This is effective communication. Don't allow your legitimate feelings of anger for the plight of the Palestinians to veil you from the proper prophetic response to catastrophes in which innocent lives are taken. We believe that self-defense is legitimate. We believe that resistance is legitimate. But that doesn't mean that in these kinds of conflicts that every single action done in them is going to be legitimate. So you don't need to defend actions that are against the guidance of Allah. If someone says to you, well, what about this innocent person killed? Don't say, that's bad, but they do the same. But they do the same. Don't use but. Say, and. That is bad. That is wrong. And what the Zionists are doing and have done and continue to do is bad too. They can both be bad. So we have to be mindful of the language. Number two, 
they're going to ask you, oh, so you support those guys. You support Hamas. But understand the media reality, dear brothers and sisters. The reality is that any criticism of the occupation, any criticism of the bombing and the genocidal words and deeds of the Zionist military or government, any objection to that is painted as support for Hamas. So that's a serious allegation because Hamas is designated as a terrorist organization in this country, and that can be a crime. It is used to shut down debate. How should you answer that question? You understand that it's a, it's a smokescreen. It's meant to put focus on one group and distract from the aggression of the other. That's all it is. Personally speaking, I have no allegiance to any party, any jama'ah, any political group. I have no allegiance to Hamas or this one or that one or anyone. I am free. This is important, dear brothers and sisters. What is most important to understand in all of these things is that no matter what happens, our commitment is to Allah and His Messenger Our wala, our allegiance is to Allah and His Messenger and then the believers, the mu'minun. But our allegiance to the believers, our wala to the believers is proportionate to their allegiance to Allah and His Messenger So the amount of wala that I give to the pious, saintly person doing what is right will be very high. And the wala, the allegiance I give to the Muslim criminal or drunkard will be lower. It's all proportionate. That means that no matter what happens in the fog of war, we don't rubber stamp anything that anyone does in the name of justice or any of these matters. We don't rubber stamp everything. We are not Bani Israel. We're not Bani Islam either. We are Muslims. We don't give a clear pass to wrongdoings just because someone from our side does it. We don't also throw people under the bus if the cause is just and they have erred. We advise them. We don't throw them under the bus. We have to be just. So we have no problem condemning any violation of the commands of Allah. We have no problem condemning any unjust aggression, no matter who does it. That is where we have to guide our conversations. And that brings us to point number three. As you talk with people, it is very important that you point out the moral inconsistency of the Zionists. Because Islam is about truth. Islam is about truth where right is right, no matter who says it, and wrong is wrong, no matter who says it, no matter who does it. So we should point out that that is our value as Muslims. But that value is not shared by the Zionists. How so? They don't share it. Because you can point out the disproportionate killing of Palestinian civilians, women, children, the elderly, and other non-combatants. You can point out how they cut off electricity and water to entire populations. You can point out how they demolish homes, how they flatten the land. You can point out all of these facts but you will only get one of two responses from those who have already picked their side. You'll get one of two responses. Response number one, you'll get 
from those who agree, and they celebrate it. And we're hearing now people calling for an all-out genocide, saying, reduce it to rubble, turn Gaza into glass, kill every single one of them, and wipe the entire people out without any apology. They're not scared. They're doing it on camera. They don't care. They don't have any apologies about that. They embrace it. And that's not coming just from so-called Israelis. It's coming from hardline Zionists in America. It's coming from politicians. It's coming from people online and all sorts of other people. The mask is off. That's the reality. Allah Ta'ala tells us this in the Qur'an. He says that hatred and animosity has appeared from their mouths, but what they conceal in their hearts is much worse. That's the first kind of response when you bring up these atrocities. They, they agree with them. They say it's all good and it should happen. The other response that you'll get is from those who try to explain them away. They won't condemn the disproportionate killing of Palestinian civilians. And this is where it, that makes us different from them in this regard. Because we should condemn wrong no matter who does it. Because we care about truth and justice. Even if it's against ourselves. Right is right and wrong is wrong. But they have no real condemnation for attacks that disproportionately harm civilians. Not these hardliners. They play word game magic like the tahrif of the scripture, saying in the media, for example, 500 Palestinians died. They died, but 500 Israelis were killed. You see the word games here. It shapes the mind. The Palestinians just died. They just, I guess they died in their sleep. Meanwhile, the Israelis were killed. And the reality is both sides were killed. Word games. So when their figures are interviewed on TV, the media never asks them in the beginning of the interview, do you condemn the disproportionate targeting of civilian areas and the killing of civilians and the flattening of civilian buildings? Do you condemn that from your government? They don't start the interview with that question. But whenever they interview a person giving the side of the Palestinians, the first question they ask before any other question is, do you condemn Hamas's attacks? Even if they did, where is the balance? There's no balance. So when your standard is the truth, dear brothers and sisters, you can denounce wrong from whoever does it. You can be suspicious of fake news and propaganda and say, if it is true, I condemn it. No problem. But then you turn the tables on them and say, will you too condemn evil if it's done by your side? Let's hear it. Or is it a standard for one side that the other rejects? If a child is killed, for example, if, and there's a big if, if a child is killed, we condemn without reservation. There's no question about that. Having said that, they are framing any support for the Palestinian people and their struggle as overt and explicit support for killing of civilians. We reject that. It feels, like, it feels like September 12th, 2001 right now. How many civilians among the Palestinians have been killed over the years? Disproportionately more than Zionists. But in their world, warped worldview, 
they think that's fine because they literally believe that there's one rule for them and one rule for others. And Allah tells us this in the Quran. They say, there's no blame on what we do to the Ummiyin, meaning the, the Gentiles, the others who are not from us. And Allah says they utter lies about God while they know. Behind all of this is very obvious. It's an arrogance. The idea that they can do whatever they like and that they'll never pay the price or be punished for it. Now I'm speaking in generalities, but Allah tells us that there are people who oppose it. There are people who oppose it. So I'm speaking to that category that are very overt. So what can we do, dear brothers and sisters? What can we do? We can do lots of things. First thing you can do is simply pay attention and notice. Just notice. Notice those who are wishy-washy about their moral standards. Notice those who equivocate on moral issues that are unequivocal. Notice also those who are silent. Notice those who are always talking, who always have something to say, but now this is going on and they're nowhere to be seen or heard. As the ulama say, The one who is silent, who refrains from speaking truth, is like a mute devil. Notice, notice what people really feel as these things occur. Number two, realize that we are in an age of misinformation, of disinformation, and we're all going through the fog of war. That is the reality. So very much remains unclear. That means we don't have to jump and respond to every single claim made in the media. Let things reveal themselves over time. Be very mindful of what you consume and what you share. And when you see something, it is very appropriate for you to doubt and doubt its veracity 10 times before you affirm it. And as you're watching the news, take a break. Seriously, take a break. How much are you going to subject your eyes to gore, to horrific images? You know what's going on. Why would you need to sit for hours scrolling through pictures of horrendous attacks, of dead bodies? That is dangerous. It's harmful to the soul and the psyche. Because when you see a dead body in front of you, and when you see it on an image or a video, your body doesn't register any real difference between the two. You've got to take a break sometimes. Don't overwhelm yourself. As far as practical things, we give. Give to the reconstruction of Gaza through whatever lawful channels are available. Sponsoring orphans, medical supplies, and so on. And lastly, make dua. You know, it's interesting when we have catastrophes and problems and conflicts, you always hear the imam or whoever say, make dua, pray. Pray for relief. And sometimes people get tired of hearing that. It's as if they think that is a weak option among the options we have to do things. But the reality is it's not weak. And the only reason a person would think that dua is a weak suggestion is because their own du'as are weak. 
because their du'as are weak, lacking certainty, they feel that any suggestion to make du'a is a weak suggestion. But the Prophet tells us that du'a, supplication is silahul mu'min. It is the weapon of the believer. But you have to have strong certainty. And you have to raise your hands. Sadaqallahu wa rasuluhu. You can't give up hope. From the mushrikun, those oppressors of Quraysh in the earliest days, to the Byzantines and the Persian Empire, to the Crusades, which took a hundred years, by the way. A hundred years. To the Crusades, to the Mongol invasions, and so many others. All of these people in groups all tried to extinguish the light of Allah. وَاللَّهُ مُتِمُّ نُورِهِ وَلَوْ كَرِهَ الْكَافِرُونَ Allah says that He will complete His light. And every single person, good, bad, ugly, right, wrong, just, unjust, everyone stands before Allah in judgment. So with that we ask Allah Ta'ala to guide us, to give us a proper understanding of the world around us, and to view these events through the lenses of Islam and not any other man-made ideology. Allahumma bisatwati jabaruti qahrika وبسرعه اغاثه نصرك وبغيرتك لانتهاك حرماتك وبحمايتك لمن احتمى باياتك نسالك يا الله يا قريب يا سميع يا مجيب يا سريع يا جبار يا منتقم يا قهار يا شديد البطش يا من لا يعجزه قهر الجبابره ولا يعظم عليه هلاك المتمردين من الملوك والاكاسر اللهم انصر غزة نصرا مؤزرا اللهم انصر اهل غزة نصرا مؤزرا اللهم اعز الاسلام والمسلمين واذل الشرك والمشركين اللهم انحق امر الصهاينه العادين المعتدين المحتلين الظالمين الباغضين الحاسدين اللهم بدد شملهم اللهم فرق جمعهم اللهم قلل عددهم اللهم فل حدهم اللهم اجعل الدائرة عليهم اللهم أوصل العذاب إليهم اللهم أخرجهم عن دائرة الحلم واسلبهم مدد الإمهال وغل أيديهم واشدد على قلوبهم ولا تبلغهم الآمال اللهم مزقهم كل ممزق مزقته لأعدائك انتصارا لأنبيائك ورسلك وأوليائك اللهم صل على نبي الملاحم سيدنا أبي القاسم محمد الطحوك القتال الذي بعثته لينقذنا من الغي والضلال وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين أقوم إلى صلاتكم